1: Uh, And welcome to Let's
2: Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Welcome to the show, everybody. So I'm Shannon Penrod. And I'm Nancy Allspot Jackson. And we're thrilled to be
1: here with you guys this morning uh, in this interesting world that we live in. Uh, We're gonna be with you live for the next hour, at least we're gonna try. Uh, I don't know about you, Nancy, but the internet in my house has gotten more and more interesting. Do you find that?
2: Yes, definitely.
1: I I just as we were starting, my internet slowed up just a little bit, and I realized, oh, my son is getting on right now for his class as well. Uh so there we go. We're stretching Wyatt, it as far yeah, as why it's is is
2: in the process of a class right now. There we go. Uh, so Nancy, you guys doing okay? Yeah, we're doing. We're hanging in. You know, it's I I can't believe that this is continuing to go on for so long. Um, yeah.
1: And especially here in L.A. where we've got the devastating news this week that we're being asked to stay at home uh, through, is it July or August? I I can't even get my head wrapped around it.
2: I think it's August.
1: I think it is, too. I just, I'm in a little bit of denial about it. Um, But uh, you uh, are such a trooper. You celebrated a birthday this week. Happy birthday.
2: Thank you, my dear. Yeah, my birthday was on Tuesday. and. I had a really nice birthday. Wyatt made me breakfast in bed, and I got all kinds of gifts, and there are balloons all over the house, and uh, I had a homemade birthday cake and uh, a little small social distance gathering with a few friends. So it was really a nice time despite everything that's going on.
1: The New York Times said this week that there uh, there's a lot of experts that are encouraging you to continue the social distancing but to get outside. And that if you want to get together outside and keep social distance with people, that they're encouraging churches to do that and they're encouraging classes to be held outside. I thought that was interesting new news that they're seeing very little spread from being outdoors if you're masked and social distancing. I thought that was at least a little bit of good news.
2: Yeah, that's encouraging. It is great. uh, I'm just noticing I got an email from the superintendent with a with a uh, survey wanting to know what parents if parents are interested in doing uh, small portions of students to attend school on a given date or time uh, to minimize contact.
1: So, Is that for the fall or for the summer? For the fall? God. oh, man. Okay. Well, there we go. And uh, you know Wyatt is finishing his senior year. Are, have they yeah. said? Are they going to do anything for
2: graduation, Nancy? Yeah, they're having. They're they're filming. He's going to pick up his cap and gown today, and they're filming them next week walking across the stage to get their diplomas. So that'll oh, be in the video. Wonderful. So they are doing that. And then wonderful. They're, they're handing out. Um, I don't know. They're they're doing something via the cars where. I think they're handing out yearbooks and doing a big celebration for that.
1: Oh, my gosh. I haven't even thought about the yearbook thing. Uh, Whoo, It's just, it's crazy. Here we are at the end of the school year, and there's, a, normally it's crazy, but it's a different kind of crazy this year. Uh, well, we're so proud of Wyatt. Please give him our love um, and, and tell him how proud we are of him. We've got a big show for everybody today. We've got, uh, we're going to cover some news first, and then we've got a wonderful guest, George Steves is going to be joining us. He is a, a really lovely young man uh, who is an actor, identifies himself as being on the spectrum. He has that wonderful one-man show uh, that we've, we've had him on to talk about before called The Magic 8-Ball. But he's been doing a lot of uh, mainstream work that you guys might recognize him from. So we're thrilled that to have him on the show today to talk with us. But first, Nancy, we've got we've got quite a few news stories, some of them uh, lovely and some of them not so lovely. Uh, so I, 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 it's okay with you. I wanna start with a, a, a story that was in CNN this week that um, said that the first study of autism in adults, isn't it crazy to think that for the first time, they're actually trying to do a study to see what percentage of adults are on the autism spectrum yeah. in the United States. And here, here it is, 2020. Nice getting around to it, you guys. Um, so 5.4 million people over the age of 18, 18 and older, uh, are said to be on the spectrum. And that is coming to us, uh, from the U S centers for disease control and prevention.
2: And that is, that that is one in 45 people,
1: which equals out to 2.2% of the population, you know, That's a number that we have looked for for a long, long time to see what percentage of the population is on the spectrum. Now, this is just looking at adults, not looking at children. And we know that the prevalence has gone up again. So at the very least, it is 2.2 percent of the population. And, you know, I don't think that's a surprise to any of us, but it's, it's a little devastating. Don't you think, Nancy?
2: Yes, it is.
1: Um, and I hope that this is just the beginning of starting to acknowledge that it isn't just children on the autism spectrum, that there are adults on the spectrum and that crazy, crazy thought, children become adults. Right. Um, and <laughs> right? like, like this is a surprise to anybody, but um, sometimes we act with our funding as if that's like, oh, oh, I didn't realize that they were gonna get older. Uh, you have a son that's 18 now and I have a son that's about to be 17. You know, and we we did the slog when our kids were younger about getting services and getting funding and getting an awareness um, while other parents were doing the slog about, hey, what about us? Because we have adult children. And it's coming into sharp focus for me. How about for you?
2: Yes, it is coming into sharp focus.
1: But uh, hopefully this will be uh, something that gets uh, folks' attention. Years ago, um, I we did a little thing here on Autism Live where we were estimating that it was at least 2% and I dyed just 2% of my hair orange. Yeah. It was a thing so that we could say to the new president, um, President Trump, please don't ignore us. Because 2%, sometimes people minimize that and go, well, that's not really that much. Um, but if you wanna look back at the old videos, you can see that 2% of my hair dyed bright orange with the rest of it, salt and pepper. It was very noticeable. Yeah. It was not, not to be ignored. Um, I don't think we got the president's attention with that. And I walked around looking like somebody had smashed a tomato in the front of my head for <laughs> months, months, uh, I tell you. But I wish we'd chosen a different color, like blue would have been interesting. But uh, anyway, 2%, it's, it's quite a lot. Hey, we're saying hello to friends in Ireland who are watching.
2: Oh, well, top of the morning to you.
1: Yes, top of the morning to you. Uh, and hello to Helen as well. Uh, Okay, next story, Nancy.
2: Yeah, the next story is disturbing. It's a story about, um, it says isolated from their peers, some autistic men get drawn into extremist views and in rare cases violence associated with online groups for celibates.
1: Yeah, and we've uh, we've heard this story before and um, we've been uh, concerned about it before. In fact, we had a guest who had asked to be on the show, who identified himself as um, a, a gentleman, an adult, on the autism spectrum. And he, you know, we, I said the other day, if people want to be on the show, all they have to do is pitch an idea to me and tell me what their talking points are, what they want to talk about. And if they have good talking points, you know, we're usually very open to having people on the show. The night before this gentleman was to appear on the show, he went on his own page and did and was announcing to people that he was going to be on autism live and tagged us which is why we knew about it otherwise i don't know if i'd know about it and he went off on a rant about being one of these individuals that's part of this group uh that are they're called they call themselves incels because they are involuntarily celibate and he you know and that's fine you know if that's your if that's how you want to identify yourself that's your business But then he went on to rant and rave um, in a very misogynist way about uh, women and how um, women that women were responsible for all the things wrong in the world and that he could trace back all the problems in the world back to when women were given the right to vote. And that because women have choice that they had stopped choosing to have sexual relations with people who otherwise could not. Uh, managed to have sexual relations, and that they should, you know, basically the tenant was that they should be forced to comply, mm-hmm. and that is not a message that we can tolerate here on Autism Live, and so yeah. we uh, we had to cancel having that guest on the show. Um, but Spectrum News did an article this week that I think is really important for parents to know about because if you don't know yeah. that these things exist online then how would you know to be on the lookout for them? Um, but especially in these COVID times, they are seeing that young men who are isolated are tuning in to these kinds of things on the internet and they are very persuadable. And um, this is not a good thing. This is not what we want for our young men. This is not what we want for our world. This put a shiver down my spine, did it not you it Nancy? A, it,
2: it definitely put a shiver down my spine and you know, it unfortunately what it promotes is becoming more and more alienated from social groups and more and more alienated from women in particular. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. If you are involuntarily celibate and, you know, wanting for a girl to hang out with you and you start spouting this kind of doctrine, I guarantee you, you're going to be involuntarily celibate for a lot longer. Right, uh, right. Cause I don't know a single woman who thinks that that's, you know, any, anything that they want to be within 700 feet of. Um, yeah. So horrifying. Um, I, I couldn't even watch Handmaiden's Tale because it was so upsetting to me. Um, and, and it's the kind of thinking that is uh, being put out by these horrible groups online. So right. parents be watching what your adult kids are checking out online. And anyway, you know, because there are other people who want to manipulate our youth as well. But this is particularly heinous. And we are seeing that it is making inroads with this particular population. Horrifying. I, you know, a lot of today's news is stuff that like, I almost hate to bring it up because I don't want to give more attention to it. Right. But sometimes you got to talk about it so that you know what to avoid. Um, So I'd rather switch to our fourth story and save our third story for the good news. Nancy, but um, we have been asked specifically to give, to shed some light on a TikTok um, controversy that has been going on this week. I don't, I've forced myself to watch what I can find online. And fortunately, a lot of it has been taken down, but not all of it. Mm -hmm. There are parents who are um, advocating for people to boycott TikTok because of something that uh, and again I hate to talk about this because I don't want to shed light on it uh, but we need to talk about it. It was something called the Autism Challenge Um, and there's some song I don't know who the artist is I don't want to know who the artist is because I don't want people to go listen to it but it has lyrics I don't know if they were intended for this purpose um, but they're heinous they're just heinous and I gotta be honest like I don't think it has anything to do with autism Um, But it has everything in the world to do with making fun of people who have uh, certain disabilities Mm -hmm. and specifically um, someone who doesn't have control of their body movements, whether it's through seizures or through other kinds of things. And it's just it's just ignorant and stupid and ridiculous. And and apparently they were getting all these young people to take the challenge. And even here's what's crushing to me. Even as they were doing it, the things that they were tagging were, I'm going to go to hell for doing this. Uh, I know it's so bad, um, but they were, were still doing it. And, you know, TikTok has, has taken down a lot of it, but some of it they have said um, if it doesn't have a lot of tags in it that specifically call out disabilities, any kind of disability, they're leaving it up. I just think that's hatred. I just think that's really, um, shoddy and it's an opportunity for TikTok to like stand up for what's right. Have you, have you seen any of these videos, Nancy, because they're just
2: stupid. I haven't seen the videos, just read about them.
1: They're just stupid. And I know that many Autism Society of America chapters are also calling for a boycott of TikTok and, um, you know, I just have to applaud the parents who stood up and said, this is not right. And there's been a huge letter writing campaign. They've been on TikTok night and day asking them to stop. They asked for our support and getting that message out. And so I want to encourage anybody, there are petitions, there are multiple, we had multiple parents writing to us saying, uh, please support us in this. So, you know, all you're going to have to do Is Google TikTok challenge, um, TikTok autism challenge, and you will find the petitions that you can sign. And you can also, I think, unfortunately, many of us, because I was like, what is it that we're boycotting? Right. Um, And, you know, I, I, before I boycott something, I want to know for sure what I'm boycotting. So I, you know, clicked on a couple of videos that people sent me the links to to see what it was. And then I was like, yeah, I'm just, what we're doing is promoting it, you know. So, Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanna encourage people, don't do what I did. Don't give TikTok that many more views. Um, it's, what I'd like to do is throw up on TikTok. And right. you, Nancy, <laughs> how do you feel? I would just like to barf on them.
2: Yeah, um, I just think it's despicable. And um, you know, here's a, a, a platform that if anything could be promoting good things and awareness as opposed to um, myths and misconceptions and hateful things yeah
1: and and for our youth look i get it if they're bored this is stupid and and here's the worst part they know it's stupid they're Mm -hmm. apologizing as they're putting up grow up like if you know it's bad don't put it up and parents you know of of teenagers look at what your children are doing i i don't like TikTok to begin with i never did um you know, I know that, you know, some people like it for the dance challenge things, but here's an example of, I just want to throw up on them. That's all. Just ask me how I really feel. There's no
2: Uh, way
1: Yeah, but in the good news category, let's switch, uh, switch gears for a second. I loved, there was an article uh, in Deseret News in uh, Salt Lake City that caught my eye this week of a very enterprising mom whose employer, was not offering um, coverage for services for ABA, right. and she decided. Uh, you know, she really felt that either she was going to have to go get another job, or that she was going to have to do something about it because it was too important. Her son needed ABA services, mm-hmm. and so she she did something epic. Uh, she was sitting outside, and she saw two of the top people who were walking into the building. She was outside for lunch with a friend and she saw them going in and she said to the friend, you know, stay with the car. I'll be right back. And the I I can picture you and I doing this, Nancy. Right. Running running after like Thelma and Louise. Right. Uh Now she was, I got to point out, she was very, very respectful and she was professional and said, excuse me, you know, and all the things, but she said to these two people, I need you to understand I work here and I enjoy working here and I got an issue and it's with my kid and I'm not the only one. And they said, let's take a look at it. And this company, oh my gosh, I'm so impressed with them. Um, they said, you know what? Uh, we're going to cover this. They, they I know. can you believe policy.
2: that? I mean, out of her heroic mom, yeah, chasing after them in the parking lot. Yeah, um, it's the company is called CHG Healthcare, and the mom is named Michelle West. And I got to tell you,
1: Nancy, I'm very excited and proud to say that we have a representative from CHG Healthcare who's going to be joining us on the show on Monday. Oh, great. To talk about uh, how they made this decision, why they felt it was important. And I just want to spread some sugar and love on this company because if this is it right here in a nutshell, right? If we right. could start to get more people to understand, like this mom helped this company to understand. And to have this company look at it at the way that they did, and they said, uh, you know, this we're we're a company that cares about our employees, and we have multiple employees who are having the same issue. And if we are who we say we are, then we need to step it up. I just love them, CHP Healthcare, and they're gonna. Uh, we have a representative um, from their organization who will be with us on Monday's show. I'm very excited about
2: that. That's great. Kudos to them for realizing how important this is for our our children
1: and kudos to that mom for you know because that mom in that moment you know i'm sure she wasn't thinking about everything that could happen right um but what she did was she changed the circumstances for her child and her life and she changed the circumstances for all of the employees at that company and because more and more people are talking about this story who knows who knows what that could lead to maybe right. another employer will go you know uh i feel that maybe i need to do the right thing too yeah. and have people spread sugar and love on me <laughs> right uh because i'd rather talk about the good stuff any
2: day of the week it's good to have uh, a good news story
1: right we <laughs> always try to throw at least one of those in there so i was very happy for that one this week Okay, so Nancy, our guest I'm told is here to join with us and he is a remarkable young man. I don't know, do you remember when a couple of years ago at the Denim and Diamonds, when you guys were honoring Richard Schiff? Do you remember yeah, that?
2: From the and Good Ger- Doctor.
1: From the Good Doctor and Richard, and from uh, the West Wing. Hi, George.
0: Hi, Shannon. Hi, George. Uh, and,
1: and, and Nancy's with us too, George. And um, I'm just telling a story on you, George, that we, so we were at this uh, Denim and Diamonds banquet and Richard Schiff was being given an award and the evening had gone, shall we say a little bit long. And Richard Schiff was the last honoree being like, you know, big stuff. And he, he was introduced um, by, uh, oh gosh, now I'm going to have a senior moment and forget who the, the guy from West Wing played the president, Nancy,
2: help me. Gary, not Um, Gary Cole, Oh, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Gary Cole was there too
1: and had gotten up, but Martin Sheen got up and introduced him. It was a big, big deal y'all. And Richard Schiff got up to do his speech and he had, I'm not kidding you, loose leaf paper, a (laughs) fistful of it that was his speech. And he was like, I just wrote a couple of notes to share with you. And we were all like, we're gonna be here until the wee hours of the morning with Richard Schiff. But it's Richard Schiff, we don't care, right? And he started to talk and he got emotional and he was going on and he was like, and he goes, and I wanna talk about this young actor, this young actor who came up to me and said, I have this show and I'm taking it to the Edinburgh Festival and this young actor. And he went on and on and on about this young actor who had inspired him, who was so amazing. And I was like, he's talking about George. He's talking about George. And I was sitting there with Rachel Bird and both of us were like trying to text you and say, George, Richard Schiff is on stage talking about you. It was so exciting. But that's who he was talking about because George is inspirational. Uh, He really is. And George does a lot of amazing things. And when you have Richard Schiff waxing poetic about you, George, I, I think that's a sign that you're doing good stuff.
0: And I was honored that he actually came to my show and he brought his son with him.
1: Yeah yeah, and I think that's part of why he was talking about you because he's pretty impressed with you. So George, tell our audience a little bit about you.
0: Well, um, thank you for the introduction there, Shannon. Um, I'm honored to be doing my third consecutive appearance on Autism Live. Uh, it's become like an annual tradition.
1: Yes, we uh, love it. We love having you here. <laughs>
0: So my one-man show is called Magic 8-Ball, My Life with Asperger's. I started performing it in 2017. I've done Hollywood Fringe, North Hollywood Fringe, Edinburgh Fringe, New York City. I went back and did it in my first home state of Virginia. And in one hour, you laugh, you cry, you learn a lot about Asperger's, and you get from myself personally a first-hand account of what it was like to grow up on the autism spectrum. There
2: How long go. have you been performing this, George?
0: Well, um, I started writing and developing it in 2016, and it had its world premiere at the 2017 Hollywood Fringe Festival in June. So we're going on three years next month.
2: Okay, wow. great. And so it's based on your life experience. Does it start when you're a young man, a young boy?
0: Yes, it does. Um, I, I open up the show with a song, because I'm also a singer, and one of my life's dreams was to be on American Idol. So Mm. I open it up as if I'm on American Idol singing the song, and then I go, and I was going to share my story with the millions of viewers at home, but instead I'm going to share it with all of you. And then we go right back to the young version of me who um, couldn't say complete sentences, and we just take the story from there. Because there was a period, if it wasn't for Disney movies, I wouldn't have started talking because Mm -hmm. um, my parents kept showing me these Disney movies and I couldn't talk in full sentences. I could just say, Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. And that's all I could say.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It was not amazing. It was nonsensical, So, but I could at least say it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, and that's something. And for for all the people who are watching that, that just gives everybody so much hope just to know that there was a time when that was all you could say. And now look at all that you're able to do. That's that's a very hopeful thing. George, I don't know that if I've ever, if I've ever asked you this before, did you ever end up auditioning for American Idol?
0: I auditioned for the show nine times.
1: <laughs> well, you covered that then. Did, uh, it's a I tough did, show to get into.
0: Um, I did it six times when I was a teenager. I did it once at 16 and once at 17 when I had to drag my mom kicking and screaming because of Parent and Legal Guardian. And then I saved up my money and I traveled around the country and I auditioned four times determined not to take no for an answer. Didn't yeah. work out. But uh, then I then I walked away from it for seven years. I moved to LA. I did other things. And then I went back to it um, when I was 23 five and figure why don't I give it a try now and um I didn't make it but I got a call back so I thought oh this is it I'm finally going to get on the show this is my big break but then I ended up just getting a call back and it didn't go any further than that and then I did it two more times but now I'm 31 and I'm too old so um
1: isn't that crazy I, I don't think people realize because when we watch American Idol it looks like everyone who shows up gets in the room oh yeah I mean
0: I mean, when I was in high school, the judges were Simon, Paula, and Randy—the original three—and yes. it made it look like on TV. Oh, you just go to the audition and you walk right in and meet them. And it's like, no, they have no. thousands of singers come to these cattle call auditions, and they only pick hundreds. I used to jokingly say, "You have a greater chance of getting into Harvard than you do getting on that show."
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to be honest, you know, a lot of times they will pick people who are truly horrible, right? Right to go in. And then they will pick people who are both good and have a story that they're interested in. And in the early days of Idol, I think, uh, th- you know, they weren't, there was nobody that was there that had a story like what you had. Uh, then James Durbin made a little bit of an inroad. I got to say, George, I feel bad because I feel like if you had gone in during the Katy Perry years that you would have gotten in.
0: Well, Do you I d- feel that I did try during Katy Perry's first year, but i um, uh-huh. It's, um, I mean, the thing about me, and I'm, I'm, I'm man enough to know this about myself as <laughs> a singer. Um, I'm good. I'm not great. And they tend to want like greatness and I'm, I'm good, but I'm not like great. So, and, but I mean- well, that's, Good for
1: you for being able to like, uh, take a look at that. So Excuse George-
0: the barking dog. And we actually didn't hear it,
1: Nancy. I gotta be honest. We didn't even hear it. uh oh now i hear it okay now there we
0: go i
1: I have a dog that will bark at her barking dogs that will be super fun but george uh, i gotta say you have been tearing it up recently you've had some uh some work in the mainstream talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing
0: yes i was recently a guest star on ncis los angeles and that Good was, for you. That was such an honor. And um, I shot the episode in October and the episode aired in November. It was my first guest starring role. I got my own name and my own title card and the opening credits of the show, which was- That's
2: fantastic. Really
0: and um, and I was it was a nice momentum I had going there in the fall because um, I also did my first independent feature film
2: called mm-hmm. Pencil
0: Town where I acted opposite William Mosley who was Peter in the Chronicles of Narnia movies and I acted opposite um, Paul Dooley, who I got personally to play my grandfather in the movie.
1: Wow, wow. Paul- and are we able to see that movie yet?
0: Well, it's an independent feature film, so right now everything is wrapped in post-production and the film's ready to go. We were gonna have a screening in April, but then this happened. Yeah, and, yeah, um, this happened. So Hopefully we'll get a distributor soon. Um, it's such a beautiful story I play, um, I play an autistic employee at the pencil factory who William Mosley, the main character, befriends in the movie, and it's such a beautiful friendship.
1: Is it a funny movie? Uh,
0: there's, definitely, um, there's definitely moments of comedy in it. There's definitely moments of drama. Uh, Paul Dooley said in a behind-the-scenes um, featurette that we shot that it's very much like a modern-day Frank Capra movie. Mm. Oh, how nice. It's such a uh-huh. slice of life. There's moments of drama. There's moments of comedy. It's such a beautiful story. I can't wait for the world to see it. Great.
2: Yay. Well, George, you have a question, take, Nancy? Us, take us back to how you've obviously, you have so many accomplishments and achievements. And then you were talking about when you were a young boy that you could only utter a few words and couldn't even put together complete sentences. Take us back to how your trajectory of how this all happened. I mean, what your, your journey was like.
0: Well, um, I, I was the last out of four children. I have two older brothers and one older sister. So um, my mother could sense very early on that something was different about me because I wasn't developing at the same rapid pace that neurotypical children usually develop. I wasn't making eye contact and I. Uh, there wasn't I wasn't like interacting with my mom like, how big is the baby?" And you go this big. I wasn't doing any of that uh, with with my with my mother. And so um, I was very lucky in my life. I had a great mother who was very hands-on and she made sure that I went to um, different uh, therapists, psychologists, doctors. I mean, she just she she was very, she was very on it, and um, I did get a lot of social training. So my mother really did take the take the reins on and and worked with me to make me the high functioning adult that I am today.
1: And how do you feel about that? You know, sometimes we have self advocates on that are older, and they are not in love with the therapies that they got when they were a kid.
0: I mean, um, I understand. Um, I understand where that comes from because sometimes unfortunately in today's society sometimes therapy is done for good and um sometimes therapy is done more harm than it has good like you you look at gay youth in america and conversion therapy and that was something that was you know more harm than it was good but um my i I was so oblivious to it as a child. I was so aloof to it that I legitimately thought that this was a thing that regular kids did. Wonderful. I was so Wonderful. aloof to it and I was so oblivious to it. And I I wouldn't be the high functioning adult. Um, and, I, and I can't say that it, it was completely in the hands of the therapist that I saw over the years. It was also my mother and, and my environment that I grew up in so I can't just say that it was all because of the therapist it was also because of my mother
1: well and because of you George uh I mean you know when all is said and done you're the person who did the work I mean I'm all for uh giving a shout out to the moms and to the therapists, but you also did the work it was important to you and you did it
0: Well, music, um, music and movies are, and television are my life. I am an actor. I am a singer. I am a writer. And if it wasn't for music, movies and television, if it wasn't for entertainment, I wouldn't have started talking. So that was my way of connecting with the world. Right.
2: When did you you first start? Uh, performing, doing music, and acting? well,
0: um, my family was actually very involved with a, a local theater company called the Westmoreland Players in Virginia, and they did a lot of plays with them in the '90s when my family was still living in Virginia. So Oliver was the first time that I was ever on stage when I was six years old. <laughs> so Do I, you remember that? Um, I remember parts of it. I mean, I was um I was in the ensemble, and so um. I would, like, I would like be a part of the kids playing Ring Around the Rosie, Pockets Full of Posies, Ashes, Ashes, We All Fall Down. Like I was, um, and uh, I was on stage with my mom most of the time. And um, it was basically like I was in the ensemble and I was you know, on stage for all the big town moments in Oliver.
1: But it was a beginning. It, it was a beginning that has led to a lifelong passion for you.
0: And then um, I didn't do any more theater for the rest of the 90s. But then when I moved to Pennsylvania in 2000, I went to middle school in the fall of 2000. And by the spring of 2001, I was in Fiddler on the Roof in the ensemble. And it was just nonstop with school theater productions, church productions, um, summer productions, just any, I didn't have parents in the industry. So I just, I made the most with the resources that I had. And any, any opportunity there was to perform, I was there.
1: What did you love about it, George?
0: I just got to, um, I got to, I mean, when I was younger, obviously I don't feel this way now when I was 31, but what I, at 31, but when I was younger, I did used to think of acting as I can be anybody but myself. Because obviously, when I got to sixth grade, that was when I was put in a class with children that were more severely autistic than I was because my public school district didn't know what to do with me. And you have to keep in mind in the 90s and the early 2000s, autism awareness was still in its infancy. And so my school district, my public school district of Pennsylvania was like, well, he's on the spectrum, even though he's high functioning, we should really put him here because even though he's more high functioning than these children, he'll struggle if we mainstream him." And so unfortunately, that's where I was placed for two years before I finally got out. And I didn't want to be myself at that point. So acting for me was like an escape because I could, I could pretend to be somebody else who wasn't myself.
1: How did your, how did you and your mom get you out of the special day class?
0: Well, they were going to wait until I was in high school, but I was so miserable there. I could have gotten out after sixth grade, but the problem was I had already made friends by the end of my sixth grade year who I didn't want to leave. But I couldn't go to that middle school as a regular student because that wasn't in my district. So it was either... I leave the school and go back to the middle school in my district or I stay, but I have to stay under the special ed class. So I, I, I sucked it up and I went back in seventh grade to do the same thing, stay in the special ed class to still be around my friends. But then after seventh grade, I was like, okay, enough's enough. I have to get out of this. And so I got out and I went to back to my own, um, back to my own, middle school for, um, for eighth grade. and Was that hard? Um, yeah. I, I talk about this in my show, actually. It was really hard because um, being, a, being a young teenager who um, wasn't in touch with his sexuality yet and wasn't aware of it, because I'm not straight, and, um, and uh, I was called every name in the book to my That's face it. and behind my back. You name it, I was called it. So eighth grade was really, really rough.
2: How I'm so you, s- how sorry. did
0: you cope with that? How did you survive well, I, I, that time? I I I had to survive it. There wasn't really any other choice. I I homeschooling wasn't going to be an option for me. And um I just I had to face it every day. And it wasn't easy. It was some days were tougher than others. Luckily, I had a, a production I was doing that year, bye-bye birdie, that you know kept me. Kept me getting out of bed every morning, just so that way I could survive school and go to rehearsal every day after after school. And um, you know, George, they were really rough times, but I, I made it through.
1: Did your mom know that you were being bullied? And did your mom know at that time that you were gay? Um,
0: well. I, um, I personally don't identify as gay for me, my personal Forgive me. No, it's okay. Um, I personally identify as queer just because my sexuality is a little more non-binary because I was attracted to women at the time and I'm not opposed to being with a woman. I didn't fall for my first guy until I was 27 years old, but, um, but, um, um unfortunately a lot of kids you know go through the whole process of being labeled gay or assumed to be gay and my um my mother was aware of it but unfortunately the problem with um the problem with public middle schools at the time was unless you were physically bullied the public school system couldn't really do anything to protect you because You could, you could report the kids calling you names, but then if you put those kids in front of the principal, of course they're going to deny it. And nobody had phones back then that recorded things. So you were just, you were kind of on your own, unfortunately.
1: What an amazing story that you have. And I love the fact that you, you know, are telling, being a storyteller and telling that story in the medium that you uh, enjoy theater uh that's such a wonderful thing do you think that when this is all over that you will continue to do the magic eight ball or are there plans for the magic eight ball
0: well um for right now we don't have any plans at the moment for magic eight ball but um i'm actually writing a brand new show okay Um, there's um it's been three years doing magic eight ball i have a lot more i want to say i'm still in the writing and developing process so no official announcement yet but um I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about dating and sex and what that's like from an autistic adult perspective. Great. Love it. And very,
2: very much needed, I think, today to get that perspective.
0: And luckily, we've had the floodgates open up for us with the disabled and queer stories because there's a guy named Ryan O'Connell who has a show on Netflix called Special, which is about a gay man with cerebral palsy. And so I feel like now is the time for more of those disabled and queer stories. So I would like to toss my hat into that arena and and tell my stories and my experiences from dating and sex and what that's like as an autistic adult.
1: So well, I love that. Nancy will, and I will love to hear about that so we can come and support you when you're gonna ready.
0: gonna be very bold and it's not gonna be for everybody. So well,
1: that's okay. I, I look forward this is be,
0: to it. It's gonna be an adults only show.
1: There we go. There we go. So, George, you know, this this time that we live in has been very challenging for a lot of people for a lot of different ways. I wonder if you could talk just as an actor about this is devastating for actors right now.
0: Well, yeah, unfortunately, it is devastating for actors because Hollywood is completely shut down. Nobody's shooting. There's no auditions. So, um, and I, I, I kind of feel like, come on. I was on this great momentum in the fall. I was booking job after job after job and then everything came to a screeching halt. Yes. But, but um, I'm just trying to make the most of this time because this isn't forever. This too shall pass. Obviously the tricky part is we don't know how long it's going to last and we might not get back to normal until we have a vaccination and that's going to take time. Yeah. And um, so I've just been trying to make the most of it. I've been writing the new show and I missed so many movies in the theaters last year. So I've been going to Redbox uh, and renting all the movies that I missed in 2019 and just catching up on those. And um, I luckily did get some financial assistance from um, unemployment and the Actors Fund because I did work as an actor last year. And um, I still have a job that I'm doing. I'm still delivering foods to have some extra cash there. Um, I just don't want to be in any kind of rental debt when this is all said and done. And my, my, my lovely apartment that I have here with a roommate is expensive to rent. So, yeah. and unfortunately our landlord's not cutting us any kind of, you know, breaks, so. Wow,
1: um, I, I just am so struck by how amazing, Honestly, Nancy, if somebody could say to us that our kids uh, would someday be living in their own apartment and, and voicing concerns about, I wanna make sure that I'm not in rent debt, living on their own, we would be ecstatic. Would we not? Absolutely. It's Absolutely. like a thing devoutly to be wished. When, when do you think, like what, when did you know that you were gonna be somebody who was gonna be able to live on your own? When was that inside you?
0: I mean, um, I knew from a young age that I, I, that I wanted to be an entertainer. I, I don't have a backup plan. This is it for me. I'm gonna do this till my grave. And, um, and um, I just knew, I, I just knew. It's like, okay, I wanna be in movies. I wanna be in TV. I wanna move to LA. I don't know a soul there, but once I get there, I'll figure it out.
1: So and, you always knew that you were gonna be out and independent on your own. When yeah. did your mom know? When did your mom know and think it's okay for
0: George to leave the house? Well, my mom, my mom didn't have a problem with it. I mean, I'm very lucky to have two, two very supportive parents here. If I'm ever in any trouble financially, they are a phone call away. I try really hard to not abuse that privilege just because they've already done so much for me. So I try really hard to not abuse that privilege. And, um, I, um, I did say to my, my mother that I wanted to go to college out here in California and I, I did go to college out here in California and my, my mother was okay with it because my mother was like, well, I have a brother who lives in San Diego. So if he's ever in any trouble, he can always go there and it's California, not Mars. So- um, I love your mother. My mother, my mother was very, my mother was very hands-on. She taught me right from wrong. And she she wanted to make sure, she did push me to make sure that I could still be, as much of a high-functioning citizen of society that I possibly could be.
1: Mm-hmm. She, wasn't going
0: to, she wasn't going to coddle me. She wasn't going to. She was going to push me forward to be all that I could be.
2: Was it difficult for you to make the transition to independence and being on your
0: own? It was at first. Um, I moved off my college dorms in 2010 and I was living on a friend's couch and I didn't have a job. Uh-huh. And, uh, it was a little rough because that was when I got the harsh reality that life isn't a dorm room. Um, I was a little overwhelmed by the fact that, oh, I'm moving into an apartment. Oh, I have to get furniture. Oh, I have to pay for gas and electric bills. And I have to, life's not a dorm room where they just supply everything for you, yeah. and move in. Yeah, why
1: can't, why can't life be an all-inclusive resort, (laughs) right?
2: Wouldn't that be great?
0: So I I definitely, (laughs) I definitely got that harsh reality at 21. And there were definitely days when I was ready to pack it up and either move back to my college dorm or days when I was like, maybe I should just go home for a while and be with my parents and regroup. But because of my, because of my drive and my desire to do this industry, I, I, toughed it out through the rough times
1: man you're so inspirational george i i have to ask you like who inspires you
0: i mean uh, as an artist i'm i'm easily inspired by by art so if i hear a really good song on the radio or if there's a really good tv show or if there's a really good movie that i watch or even if there's some great theater that i see i'm easily inspired to create and um obviously um Being a character actor myself, I I obviously look up to other character actors. I I got Paul Dooley, a well-known character actor, the movie dad and now movie grandpa to play my grandpa in the movie. Uh, He came and saw my one-man show because I came and saw his one year prior and I kept in touch with his assistant and he came to see my show one year later. And we we've been in touch ever since, um, socially. So when I got the callback for this role in Pencil Town, I I read the script and I I I saw that there I was gonna have a grandpa in the movie. So I said to them, bold as brass in the callback, if you if you if you if you hire me for this, I could get you Paul Dooley. So um, so uh- I I got the part, and then they made an offer to Paul Dooley's agent, and um, I called Fiona, his assistant, and said, I'm begging Paul to do this, and, um, and at the wrap party, Paul and his wife, uh, Winnie Holtzman, who wrote the book for Wicked and created a show called My So-Called Life, she came up to me and said, the minute Paul found out it was you, he was immediately eager to do this. Wow. How
1: wonderful. I loved My So-Called Life. I still remember that show. It was I, do too. I was
0: honored to have Winnie in my audience because I was a big fan of that show as well. So it was an honor to have the woman who created it in my audience. And that's yeah. Paul's Wife.
1: We have viewers who've written in. One says, I love hearing from individuals like George and Kobe Bird. I want to share them with my K through three students. I want them to see that anything is possible. And my husband wrote in and said, "Saw your scenes from NCIS. Great job, George." Oh, thank you. Um, and my husband's an actor, so he's fussy. So that's a thank that's a compliment.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> so. I told I told Eric Christian Olsen, who was the tall guy with the blonde hair um, in between takes. Um, I told him, you know, this is my first guest starring role, and he was like, it is not. You're really good. (laughs) (laughs) So I was honored to hear that from him, and I had been following Eric's career for years. I had seen a lot of his movies, so I was really honored to hear that from him.
1: There is a a core group, though, of individuals that are here in LA that um, are actors who happen to also identify themselves being somewhere on the spectrum. And, um, you know, I, I remember when roles first started to come out, it was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and, and now it seems like there's more and more, but does it ever get contentious uh, competing with? Because uh, I know a couple of people, I can I think of one all. person <laughs> in, 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 in particular who was up for that role on the pencil movie um, that, uh, you know, we have many guests that are actors that, um, Yes, and you guys seem to tend to go up for the same kinds of roles. Does it? Does it? Does it get you know
0: contentious? Um, I try really hard to not let it get contentious. Like um, you, you also know Alex Plank, and him and I—that's what I was thinking. Him and I be, have become friends in the past year, and um, my feeling is, and I, I get it. You know, we're both in our thirties. We're both white. We both have Aspergers. We're both in the same category. So we are going to go out for a lot of the same jobs. But my feeling is, if, if I win, he wins. If he wins, I win. If one of us gets it, we all win. And I really, I really, I really hate how catty and competitive this industry can get. So my feeling is we should all be lifting each other up, not tearing each other down. And my feeling is, hey, if you're good to me and if I'm fortunate enough to make it to the other side and get the massive success and fortune and fame as an actor, if I'm lucky enough to break through that glass ceiling and get to the other side, I will throw the rope back over for other people.
1: I know you will. I know you will. And that's exactly the person that I was thinking of, because I know you guys have gone up for the same role a couple of times. And sometimes it's you, and sometimes it's him. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, yes, you you know, you described yourself both uh, very well in that category, but you are both infinitely different flavors. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, totally I, I, jokingly, different
0: I jokingly said that to Gail once, uh, our agent, because yes. we have the same agent and no. I was like, well, you, you now have the both of us because we're both, <laughs> we're both Asperger's and we're both in our thirties. And he was like, yeah, but you're both still different in your, you know, yes. your, you know. So, Absolutely. but I, I still love Alex. He's become a friend and I love that. And uh, we actually just recently talked a couple of weeks ago because we're both obviously self-quarantining right now. So we'll occasionally text each other or call in on each other just to see how each other's doing. And um, wonderful. I just want to keep that alliance with, with all the actors I, I come across with. I mean, whether you're on the spectrum or not, I mean, um, I just try to, I try to keep that bond and alliance with every actor I meet.
1: Well, uh, we're so proud of you, George. And Nancy, I've
2: been hogging it. Is there anything you want to ask, George? I would like to know, given your path and some of the early struggles you have, what um, words of wisdom or inspiration would you say to um, people out there that want to do sort of follow the path you you have chosen? um, What words of inspiration and encouragement would you give them?
0: This acting teacher I used to work with once said this to me, and it it once said it to all of her students and it struck, it struck me and it was something that her acting teacher used to say, if you can do something else in your life, you should do it. Mm -hmm. But if you can't do anything else, then you need to do this. And you can't make it about money. You can't make it about fame. You have to make it about the work. And the joy and the satis, um, satisf- um, satisfaction. I'm trying to find the right word. Satisfaction. And the joy and the satisfaction that comes with the work, because this industry that you're going into, it's going to go up and down. One minute you're going to be hot, you're going to be in demand, and the next minute it's going to be a dry spell. It's going to go up and down, and that does, and that happens to everybody at every level in the business. Whoopi took that job on The View as a moderator because she said, it came to me at a time when I couldn't get arrested. I couldn't get an acting job anywhere. So it's gonna go up and down and, it, and Whoopi's an EGOT, uh, <laughs> Emmy, grand Oscar, Tony. So it doesn't matter what level you're at. It's always gonna go up and down with you and you have to ride the wave. So if you can do something else, I would say do it. But if you can't, and that's where I'm in, I can't do anything else. This is what drives me to continue living my life is my art and this industry and wanting to contribute to the industry, wanting to do work that impacts other people. That's what keeps me going. So I would say, if, this, if, if you live, breathe, eat, sleep this, keep doing this, do not give up. And also, I would also give these other two pearls of wisdom. Don't kill yourself trying to be successful in the industry because I've learned over my 11 years, almost 12 years here in Los Angeles doing this industry, the minute I stopped killing myself trying to make a career happen, that's when stuff started happening because I stopped killing myself over it. Uh, There was a period where I was going to my acting class three times a week. I was self-submitting on Actors Access, LA Casting, Now Casting every single day. I wasn't going home to visit my family except for once a year. I was just, I was too, I was too focused. So you have to take the time in your life to still enjoy life. And you have to take the moments to truly enjoy life because we only have one of these and we don't know what's waiting on the other side. This is not a dress rehearsal. So there has to be a balance where yes, you're focused. Yes, you're all about the work but you also have to be all about your own life, whether you're partnered with somebody who you're sharing your life with romantically or you know whether you have family that you wanna make sure you visit as much as you can, especially in my case, cause mine live on the other side of the nation. And um, the last thing I would wanna say is, don't be afraid to be your 110% authentic self. For years, I didn't talk about my autism as an actor. I did not talk about it. But the minute I started to embrace it, that was when my whole life and my whole world and my whole career started to change because I started to embrace it. Well, I gotta say, This is an industry where you wanna stand out, not blend in. So the more you have, the better off and the better your chances are at making an impact in this industry. This is an industry where you have to be you and you have to stand out.
1: And I gotta say, George, I think you also uh, did, I think one of the most important things that an actor can do, you hired yourself. By writing something for yourself and, and investing in it and producing it, um, you're and and getting other producers to produce it. You hired yourself, and I remember years ago um, hearing Cameron Manheim talk, and she when somebody said to her, "You know, you are not the stereotypical uh, face of a female in Hollywood. How did you get the success that you have?" And and she was a you know. A, she's still a big star, but she was like, you know, on everything at that point. And she said, well, you know, the truth is I got one job and I took that money and I hired myself. I wrote a one woman show and I was clear that I wanted people to be able to see me in that one woman show to see the kind of, cause she said she was going on auditions and she wasn't getting anywhere. Um, but so she hired herself and I saw you do that. Uh, you hired yourself and you continued to hire yourself. And, and I think there's something about that, that affirmation and that confidence that the rest of the world sees and goes, ah, that's, that's a true talent. And they recognize it in themselves
0: first. And, um, how I got the inspiration to do my one man show was actually from Whoopi. I was watching an episode of Oprah's Masterclass and Whoopi was going through the same struggles I was going through as an actor, which is, I wasn't getting any jobs, I wasn't getting hired, but I still wanted to show people what I could do as an actor. So that was when I started working on my one man show because Whoopi did, her one woman show that showed all the different characters she could do. And then Mike Nichols saw it and then he put it on Broadway and then Steven Spielberg saw it and fell in love with her and put her in the color purple and the rest is history. And I got to tell that to Whoopi in person when I when I met her. And, um, and- Does I got she to, love that? Yes, and um, I even got to follow up a couple months later in Vegas and I got to give her a hug on stage during her Q and A portion of the show. So that Yay. was- that oh, was exciting. So. I do have Whoopi Goldberg to thank because Whoopi is another one like Cameron Mannheim, who doesn't fit into the stereotype of what Hollywood wants you to be. And um, I, when I, when I started doing my one man show at first in 2017, I was telling people, well, I figured if Hollywood isn't going to give me a job, then I'm going to make myself a job.
1: Yeah, now I got to ask you and then we're running out of time, uh, but uh, do you ever, and I hope, I hope I know the answer to this. I hope, I hope, I hope. Do you get the opportunity to audition for roles in TV and film that don't have anything to do with autism?
0: Well, when I was self-submitting for projects in um, Actors Access and LA Casting and Now Casting, um, I was playing more neurotypical people than atypical people because it was student films, it was short films, it was it was a bunch of you know. It was a bunch of those kind of projects that I was self submitting for, and most of them didn't have pay, you would just do it for a credit, a copy and a meal and I was trying to build up a reel in Hollywood. I haven't, um, I haven't had the chance yet because both of the roles I did in NCIS Los Angeles and Town were both autistic roles. Um, I haven't had the chance yet to play a neurotypical role in the Hollywood sphere just yet. And I did have a friend who did say to me, well, you don't wanna get pigeonholed. And I was like, well, yes, I don't wanna get pigeonholed, that's true, but I also have to get known first. And I am am willing to be the best autistic guy Hollywood's ever seen Mm -hmm. if that gets me known. And then once I'm known, then I can do whatever I want. I like that plan. I mean, George, was-
1: where can people follow you for more information?
0: I mean, uh, just one last quick thing. Okay. Sally Field Sally Field was Gidget and the Flying Nun first before she was Norma Ray, before she was Mama Gump, before she was Mary Todd Lincoln. You have to start somewhere first. Absolutely. Yeah. Good advice. Uh, we're, Very good advice. Yeah, we're, we're out
2: of time. Advice. Yeah. Yeah, where can people find you, Shannon asked.
0: Uh, well, um, I am on Twitter and um, Instagram at George F. Steves, G E O R G E F S T um, E E B E S. I'm on uh, Facebook just myself, uh, George Steves, and I'm a friend. I'm a friend of Shannon's on Facebook, so I'm sure you can find me through Shannon's friends list. And just the last thing I wanted to say is the last two appearances I did in, on Autism Live. I was promoting the show and I was promoting the fundraiser to go to Edinburgh and upcoming appearances in New York and LA. So now since we're all in self quarantine here, if you want to watch my one man show yourself in the pleasure of your own home that is now available online for free, go to www.vimeo.com magic eight ball. So vimeo.com magic eight ball, the number eight, it's not written out in letter form. So slash Magic 8-Ball, there's three videos on there. And it's called Magic 8-Ball, My Life with Asperger's, written and performed by George Steves. And you can watch the whole show for free in one hour. You'll go on quite the emotional roller coaster ride, and you'll get to experience with me everything I went through.
1: Is there a password on Vimeo, or it's nope, available?
0: Completely available and open. You just go on Vimeo.com slash Magic 8-Ball. There's three videos, and it's- Love it's- it. It's right there available to watch in your own home.
2: Yay. Thank you, George. We adore you. Thank you for joining us today, George. You've been a delightful guest. We love having you.
0: you. I love being here.
1: All right, you guys, we're totally out of time. We'll be back on Monday. We've got a great show, Bonnie Yates, and that representative from CHG Healthcare is going to be joining us on Monday. Until then, give your
2: kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Bye bye. Bye bye for now.